0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, and chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heather McGee spent many years building a career as a public policy expert. A self-proclaimed policy wonk, she investigates entrenched problems in the American economy. Rising debt, declining wages, shortfalls in tax revenue. In 2016, she was invited to a public television call-in show to share her expertise when a man named Gary called in from North Carolina. To the great surprise of McGee and the show's producer and pretty much everyone watching, Gary said to McGee, a black woman, I'm a white male and I'm prejudiced. He shared his opinions about black men and gangs and drugs and crime. Then he said, but I want to change. I want to know what I can do to become a better American. This was the last thing McGee expected to hear on this show. As she put it, my career is about economic policy, not thoughts and feelings. But when I opened my mouth to respond to this man on live television, the most surprising words came out. I said, thank you. I thanked him for admitting his prejudice for wanting to change and for knowing somehow that would make him a better American. That moment, which had been recorded, went viral And not long after that, Heather and Gary arranged to meet in person. They talked for a long time and met again several more times. They became friends. Gary says now that Heather has taught him a lot about the impact of racism on America's public policy. And Heather says Gary has opened her eyes as well to the emotional suffering he has been through, the fear, anxiety, and isolation he has felt because of gary heather began to think differently about her work and she began to look beyond racism's impact on policy making to study how it affects the physical emotional and even spiritual health of all people the best example she has found of how racism hurts everyone is in that most cherished of summer amenities the swimming pool In the 1930s and 40s, the United States government built many kinds of public amenities funded by tax dollars, including some amazing community pools. In Montgomery, Alabama, the Oak Park pool was the biggest and grandest around. The problem was, even though the tax dollars of all the people in Montgomery paid for the pool, it was open to whites only. Eventually, a federal court deemed this unconstitutional, and when that happened, the response was swift. Rather than allowing black and white children to swim together, the town council drained the pool. McGee discovered that this destruction of public amenities happened across the country, including here in Richmond. Public parks, pools, and zoos closed, rather than allowing everyone who contributed to them to enjoy them. During this month of August, we have been reflecting on God's gift of play. And while we might at first have thought that play was a rather trivial topic, we've learned that God created human beings in such a way that play is critical to our physical, emotional, and spiritual health. So what happens when, as a society, we decide that some people Even some children are more worthy of play than others. Like the subject of play, the biblical book called either Song of Songs or Song of Solomon is often dismissed as trivial or even out of place among our sacred scriptures. Typically, this book has been interpreted in one of two ways. Either it is simply what it appears to be, a secular celebration of human love that ended up in the Bible by a happy mistake, or an allegory describing the love between God and humanity. The truth is not either or, but both and. Yes, this is a book of the Bible about the passion of young lovers. It is a beautiful and profound reminder that one of the greatest aspects of God's gift of play is the gift of our bodies and of the natural world, both of which are celebrated in this book with beautiful poetry. But you could only call Song of Songs a secular book if you overlook its many biblical references and allusions. Now, this is easy to miss because we're reading in translation, But many of the original Hebrew words chosen by the poet allude to other books in the Bible, to the creation of human beings in Genesis, to some of the language of the Psalms, to the laws God gave the Israelites. With these allusions, Song of Songs puts God at the center of our embodied lives at the center of our experiences and enjoyment of the natural world, and at the center of our expressions of love for one another. Yes, expressions of romantic love, but more than that, expressions of love between friends or between siblings, between parents and children, even our love for our neighbors who might be very different from us. According to Song of Songs, to experience love with another person is to experience the very presence of God. Song of Songs also teaches us something about who deserves to experience the kind of playful, embodied, unconditional love it describes the kind of love that is as strong as death, as fierce as the grave, and ultimately priceless. Embedded in this poetry is a reversal of a long-standing, deep-seated inequality, the inequality between men and women that originates in the book of Genesis. You might remember that after Eve gives Adam the forbidden apple to eat, God declares that she and all women will be subjugated to men. Your desire shall be for your husband, God tells the woman, and he shall rule over you. For many, this episode has provided a biblical basis for the subordination of women. But in the Song of Songs, we see something extraordinary happen. We witness two lovers in an equal partnership in which the woman speaks regularly and boldly proclaims, my beloved is mine and I am his. The Hebrew words here, Recall that episode in Genesis, leading biblical scholars to interpret these words as restoring men and women to the equal partnership they shared when God first created them in God's own image. It turns out that Song of Songs is neither trivial nor out of place in our Bible. It is sacred scripture, teaching us that every person is worthy of friendship and love, and every person deserves to express that love through embodied, life-giving play. Ultimately, that's what play is, an embodied, joyful, shared expression of love, whether between children on the playground, lovers enjoying each other's company, or time spent cultivating our awareness of God's presence. Play is an expression of love. Throughout its history, the Christian church and we, the people who make up that church, have struggled to practice the unconditional love that we preach. Of all the challenging news we've been hearing this summer, I have found none of it as disturbing as the discovery of mass graves in Canada which revealed the government practice of forcing indigenous children to attend boarding schools. The majority of these boarding schools were run by the church. The children who attended them were in many cases cut off from their families, their friends, and taught that their culture and their traditions were sinful. Many were neglected and abused denied not just the carefree play of childhood, but food and shelter and safety from the adults charged to care for them. This didn't just happen in Canada, but here in the U.S. as well. This deeply painful history is really hard to look at. It's hard to talk about. And yet until we acknowledge it and repent of the ways We have distorted our theology to suggest that some people are more deserving of things that we simply take for granted. Quality education and housing, purposeful work, safe play. Until we can admit and look at this, none of us will be able to truly enjoy these aspects of a rich and meaningful life nor will we be fully able to experience or appreciate the breadth and depth of God's love, which is for everyone. Song of Songs describes the universal human experience of love between two human beings, love expressed in a joyful, playful dance, love strong enough to overcome all the obstacles in its path. Love that is a pattern and a template for God's unconditional love for us. Song of Songs reminds us that this is an equal opportunity love. Either we all deserve it or none of us do. Either we are all deeply, truly, intimately, and infinitely valued by God or none of us are. This is the message Jesus shared, both in his teachings and even more powerfully in the way that he interacted with all kinds of people. Jesus extended unconditional love and healing to the rich and poor, Gentile and Jew, men and women, adults and children alike. His equal opportunity love is what made him and what makes him even now so compelling. And so offensive. And it is this kind of love he invites us to extend to all people without distinction. Now doing that, extending that kind of love, answering Jesus' call, there is nothing easy about it. We live in a society that has been systematically and intentionally divided So that in our workplaces, our schools, our churches, our social gatherings, all the places we and our children play, most of the time we're interacting with people a lot like us. I don't know about you, but I empathize with Gary. That man who called into the show to admit his prejudice and to admit that as much as he wants to change, he doesn't know what to do to make things better. I feel that way most days. These are deep-seated issues that none of us alone can easily change. But I truly believe if we wrestle with them together, we can make a difference. This month, while we're considering play, we can use play as a lens through which to look at the world around us and see who gets to play and how their play is encouraged or inhibited. We can start by looking at the most tangible forms of play around us in our city, in our neighborhoods, playgrounds, pools, community centers. Who has access to these and who does not? What condition are they in and why? It's okay if we don't have the answers to how to fix the discrepancies we see. Sometimes noticing them is a first step. But if play is truly God's gift to us, then it is a gift for all God's children, and we can help make it so. For Heather McGee and Gary to form a friendship required them both to take a big courageous leap out of their comfort zones. It was a leap that required them to be vulnerable with each other, to listen to each other, and to learn from each other. This is the very leap love enables us to take. We, too, can do hard things that require courage and vulnerability, listening and learning. We can do this because we are already held In the extraordinary, unconditional love of God. Writing about love, the indigenous poet Chris Latre reminds us that we have to move beyond the definitions of love as just an airy thing and create an active love in the world. This takes work, sometimes toil, sometimes setting aside what is easier or what we think we want to show love as courtesy Love as simple kindness, love that can be inconvenient, love that challenges us. If we all did a little more of that, he concludes, how much better would we get along? Held in the powerful grip of God's love, may we answer Christ's call to share it, that all God's people may know the gift and the privilege of love expressed through joyful play. Amen.